Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in our studio. It's been a while since Mike and I have recorded. We worked ahead and now we're at the point that we got to start churning out some new uh, episodes. We've been a little bit busy. Mike and I were both teaching J-Term, which is a uh, two and a half week. It's 12 class sessions, four hours a session, 8.15 to 12.15. Uh, during January, which is why it's called J-Term. And so we had that, and then we got done on Friday. Um, Now we're getting grades in, and uh, we're off school today, Monday, uh, which is uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and tomorrow the new semester begins. So not a lot of turnover time, and I think we've been busy with that. Mike, you're about to go speak somewhere, aren't you? Yeah, in Chicago there's there's a conference there. Like a synod thing, huh? What are you speaking on? Apologetics. Nice. You know a little bit about that? You you got some content you can use? I do. It's actually very difficult. This one's like, you know, I don't know what they call it, a breakout session or whatever. Um, to do it in an hour is almost impossible. Yeah, I would agree. That's hard to put. So I, I don't like doing an hour. Like, you got to give me four hours. Yeah, it's nice when you can do like a pastor's conference and spread it out between yeah. a day or two. So it is what it is, though. What, um... What did you teach this J-term, Mike? I don't know if we've told our listeners before. I did Christian worship. I had 21 kids and uh, pretty good kids. And How to go teaching that in the J-term format. That was a first for you. I like it. Um, I Like we, we've talked about before, I like that format. I wish we could just do three weeks at a time and, st- uh-huh. and just the students take one class. And they're immersed in it. They're not right. distracted. In fact, I ran into our provost today and he asked about J-term and I said, well, I really like that format. And he said, there actually are models out there where that they do do that. Uh-huh. I mean, there's obviously going to be some difficulties scheduling and stuff, but they're only doing one thing. Yeah. Well, and I had, uh, which will uh, tie into our episode here, I had Pauline Epistles. So I've, when I've taught J-Term, I've either taught Pauline Epistles or um, History of Christianity. And I, I like the J-Term format for some classes. I wasn't a huge fan for History of Christianity because there are... It's just, yeah, too it's much. It's hard to cover that, that much chronology. But... um. I do like it for Pauline epistles because they really kind of get um, immersed in the scriptures. And so having just taught Pauline epistles... I got to with- I, I, I tell you this. I didn't tell you this off the, off the podcast. Uh, at the last uh, day, you know, kind of go through, okay, teach the students, which I think you do too, is say, okay, give me one thing to change about this course and give me one thing, don't change this about the course. And that's, yep. that's my way to, of getting my feedback. And the one guy, it's like, he's, he's, I like him. I like him, but he does talk this way. He's like, uh, you know what? You should do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I do. Yeah, so. it's surprising. Um, so there's a lot of students who know about yeah. the podcast. Some even take the classes because of the podcast. Yeah. And then there's others who will be like shocked when they <laughs> when they find out. He also wanted me to do a TikTok with him and see if we could go viral. I I said no. No. Yeah. yeah. It. Uh, but we do, uh, in some of the classes, we actually do incorporate the podcast a little bit, especially like the Luther series with the Luther class. And uh, one of the things we like to do when we're recording, too, is if we have something fresh in our memory that we've been doing um, pedagogically or academically that we've been working with, to try to do that while it's still fresh in our memory. And, and Mike has taught Pauline Epistles before, once or twice, Mike? Twice. I did last J-term and then this last fall. So Mike has it in his head from fall. And I have it in my head from J term, and then I think I've I've done it once or twice. Otherwise, in J term, um, and probably taught it I think three other times in semester format. I could be wrong on that, 
Um, but while it's relatively fresh in our memory, what we wanted to do today was just big picture survey stuff about kind of Paul and his thoughts and his epistles. Why is he writing these epistles? Um, what are some of the themes? Is there a general arrangement to them? Stuff like that. And our thought is, uh, as we're getting into the new year, to be able to, to use that. Um, and in 2020, we might jump into some of Paul's epistles at different times. We're not looking at doing a two-month straight series. We try to limit that to the wing units, and we got a ways to go with Luther still. <laughs> um, but it might be that um, you know we take uh, one episode and we do Ephesians 2. Or we take an episode and we do survey of Colossians. But uh, we'd kind of like to set the stage for that and just to, to talk about Paul in general. Because when we talk about um, Christianity, and especially in the academic world, and especially in the, the secular academic world, you'll have people who talk about, you know, John's Christianity or Ioannine Christianity, Pauline Christianity, um, as if they're different things. Which obviously, as confessional Christians, we we see a harmony in the scriptures. But no matter um, where you fall on that, it's just um, I think you can't get around Paul when it comes to the New Testament and to the content of the Christian faith. He's just a, a critically important figure, um, and he really does a a uh, an eternal service to the church in that he elucidates the the key themes of the Christian faith in very important ways. Um, and so Protestant Christians and especially Lutheran Christians. Paul's epistles are just um, essential to understanding um, Orthodox Lutheranism and, and most Orthodox uh, um, confessions of the faith, whether they're Presbyterian or something else. And so we're going to talk just a little bit about Paul himself, his epistles, why we study them, key themes, and things of that sort. So this is not going to be, um, we're not going to go in-depth on various chapters here. Um, we're not going to give you every uh, jot and tittle of Paul's life. But kind of the general feel for what's going going on there. We are part of the 1517 Podcast Network. Encourage you to uh, check that out if you haven't already. There's a number of podcasts on that. 1517.org, you can get all kinds of content. Uh, they've rebuilt the website, and it's very searchable. Um, almost anything you want to find about the Christian faith, you can find a resource for it. Um, they have the daily blogs which are sometimes more informational, sometimes more devotional. Mike, you just had one recently that was out. I have to, uh, I got to get back to doing that. This, uh, this well, well, yeah, we're, neither of us are really, really good about doing that. I, I'm not a big blog writer, but uh, I just, we both, uh, I didn't tell you this either. We both signed up for Transfiguration, so. Oh, did we? Yeah, so they have two. <laughs> I told Kelsey, uh, who is uh, in charge. Well, if of that, you want to do it, I can step back. <clears throat> I already turned mine in. I said, I said, she said, we'll take both, and I said you could use mine next year if you want. So, well, actually, now I just don't have to do it. <laughs> but you just said you you need to get back on. Well, I signed up for a couple to make myself start writing again. Yeah. I I write in spurts. I'll go and I just I get a dry spell where I can't put words on paper, um, and then I'll turn out a couple conference papers or a book or. Well, you know, the, a bunch of blogs, and it, it's just, it's there or it's not. You know, I, I don't know how about you feel, but I would rather write a 20-page paper than a blog post. Right. I would agree with that. It's, they're very difficult. I, well, and I tend to either write much shorter or much longer. Yeah. Um, sometimes I don't mind doing like a pithy, like 250-word thing, mm -hmm. yeah. which is what I did in the parish a lot. But, yeah, so I I need to get back at that. But I, I would recommend, um, you know, if there's ever stuff you're looking for, you can search, and, and you might find something that interests you. Uh 
over there. Um, so you can check out the podcasting network or the other materials, the publishing house, um, and all of that good stuff. Um, I know here we still stand conference will be coming up again. I don't know where they're at with tickets. I haven't heard recently. I know they were selling out pretty quick. Uh, Mike and I will be out there and, uh, what are we doing while we're out there, Mike? Nothing. Yeah, we don't have to present this year. And uh, who's going with us? Our wives are going with us. Yeah, so we're actually going to get to take our wives this year, and we're excited about that. should be a good time to kind of soak stuff in, get to socialize, and uh, introduce our wives to some people. And, and uh, I've been out there now is it twice or three times, and I've not actually gone and explored San Diego at all. No. And I may, I may go do that. So... Um, lest we go too long on that, Mike wants to talk a little bit. Uh, we're not going to do a free-for-all today. Uh, we got to get some people in here to do free-for-alls with us. We do have some guests we've been talking to. We're excited about some episodes for the new year. Um, we've gotten back to uh, getting stuff out more regularly, which we're, we're happy about, although we should have recorded this about two days ago. Um, but uh, some of you are familiar with this. Some of you maybe not. I saw Carrie's put together a... Uh, a website for this that mm-hmm. looks pretty darn sharp too, Mike. So why don't you fill them in on uh, what you got going for next summer? Yeah. So, uh, Carrie Keene, our physicist, our, uh, uh, our resident physicist here at Wisconsin Lutheran college. And I do a one week, uh, apologetics class. Our last year was our, our first year <clears throat> and we're going to offer it again this year and we're actually going to add a week. And so, uh, we're offering two different weeks. You can come to both. You can come to one or you can come to the other. You don't have to come to one before you come to the other. You can do whatever you want. The first week, June 15th to 19th, for $200 is Carrie and I, and we'll give you kind of the uh, the basics. We call it practical apologetics class. And so we'll run through the classic arguments uh, that have been used. There'll be some discussion. Uh, and then Carrie, Carrie's really going to be Carrie's really good at uh, kind of navigating the scientific and philosophical uh, world when it comes to apologetics. And so uh, interested lady, pastors, pastors, anybody can take that. We've had people that were juniors in high school all the way up to people who um, were teaching at high school, uh, high schools. We had retired folk. Uh, We had quite a few. uh, It was a fun, diverse group. And then we're pleased to bring in uh, Pastor Luke Thompson from St. Paul's in Ottawa, Ontario. The next week, which would be June 22nd to 26th, also $200. And he's going to speak a week long um, on postmodernism. The title is Into the Postmodern Wilderness, and he's done some good things, and uh, especially with Ecclesiastes, too. Uh, He has a book coming out on Ecclesiastes. Luke does good stuff. I mean, I'll just say that as an outside observer. When when I've run into Luke's stuff, it's been very well done. So uh, anybody interested in philosophy or culture or just how people are thinking today, uh, he has a, a really uh, seems a successful campus ministry there, reaching out to a lot of people who are, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, skeptics there at the, um, it's a university town in St. Paul's in Ottawa is very close to the campus of, of I believe, University of Ottawa University. I, I think that's the uni- main university. There's Carleton. Is that in? No, not Carleton. There's a Concordia in, uh, not not the Concordia, Missouri Center Lutheran, but a Concordia I think that's in Ottawa, too. Anyway, I should stop talking because I don't know anything about it. Mike, will there be coffee there? I have no idea. Um, Churros? Treats, maybe? (laughs) We can can get you some coffee. So into the postmodern wilderness. uh, Would I have to pay if I went to attend? Yes, because it's not a... 
it's not a no you can come it's fine but it's not one of those like you get a free because it's not through wlc it's on wlc's campus yeah. but it's not for credit this year so uh that's way we can make it a little bit cheaper so pastor luke thompson's into the postmodern wilderness if you're interested in culture philosophy how to engage people in this uh, contemporary situation especially if you're pastors campus pastors but it, i don't think it would be uh, a, a reach for um, a college student or a uh, go-getting high school junior senior. I apologize for like, uh, hitting the table constantly with this. this it's, uh, it's not getting picked up. It's fine. Advertising card too. All right. So uh, June 15th to 19th or June 22nd to 26th, you can go to blackearthapologetics.com. Blackearthapologetics.com for more information or just email us. Um at the, the podcast, um, or you can email me, michael.berg at wlc.edu, and I will answer any of your questions. We'd love to have you, no matter what background you come from. Will you answer anything if I email you, Mike? I will. I will, and I'll pretend like uh, anything I'm Anything I ask, you'll answer. It. Yep, I will. <laughs> <laughs> this show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you are just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. which is the Pauline epistles. As Wade said, those are just simply the letters in the New Testament written by St. Paul. And if you're kind of uh, thinking about the books of the New Testament, you have uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then naturally the Acts of the Apostles are after that. And then we get into St. Paul's letters. You have some bigger ones like Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then um, some really Short, shorter ones, but very important ones, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians. Then we have what's normally called the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Both of those are written to young pastors. And then Philemon, which I kind of think about as a pastoral epistle as well, just because it's very specifically pastoral in a, a, a certain situation. Um, and then um, just by way of introduction, since we're talking about that, you have uh, what's called the prison epistles, which would be um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, uh, uh, letters that are generally agreed upon that they were written while St. Paul was um, under house arrest in Rome um, in the early 60s AD. So those are what we're going to talk about today. Again, we're not going to do an exegesis, which would be looking at every word, obviously, but just kind of a feel for uh, perhaps the different letters of St. Paul and, and, and what we think about when we say Pauline, uh, a Pauline th theology, not necessarily. We don't mean, we definitely don't mean that Pauline, Paul's got his own theology versus John or or Peter or Matthew, but rather, but there are things that he's going to highlight. There's a, there's a style that he has. And so I think 
we can rightly call Pauline a theology without getting too too worked up about it. So what uh, maybe I'll throw it to you right now, Wade, and when I say Pauline epistles, what's the first thing you think about? Well, I think something you said there is important, that it's not that um, Paul has a different Christianity than anybody else, but something to keep in mind would be um, Mike had a ministry in Woodlake, Minnesota. I had a ministry in, in Saginaw, Michigan, and I would guess if you were to um, pull together all of our sermons and our Bible studies and the devotions we did, um, even if you could track our emails, which I sure hope you can't, um, there would be different emphases that came out in what we were preaching and teaching based on the settings in which we were working. Um, and we would have grown and maybe even sometimes devolved. Yep. Yeah. And if you would have, um, if you would throw into that, um, you know, uh, a brother pastor from California, one from Texas, one from a South Atlantic, and someone from a, you know the the New England area. Um, there would be even more um, diversity. Um, part of part of what we'd have to consider that with that too would be our life experiences within those times. What were we going through? What was our congregation going through? Um, was one person serving a young congregation that didn't have many funerals but had baptisms and weddings like crazy? Was another one serving a congregation uh, that had a lot of funerals and not a lot of baptisms? Um, was there a lot of uh, a particular type of issue or, or, or um, pet sin within certain congregations? Uh, what's the culture of the area there? And so a lot of when we talk about Pauline theology is going to be, um, I think what, what what we say of Luther and what we've said of Luther, because others have said it, can be said of Paul too that he's an occasional theologian meaning that what we have from him, with the exception, I would say, largely of Romans, um, are reactive letters, not reactionary, but he's reacting to situations and congregations that he himself had founded or served or that had come upon his radar for some reason. Um, the reason I exclude Romans from that is Romans, to me, is largely a catechism, mm-hmm. um, and it's a, a letter he's writing to a congregation that he had not founded. Um Something else to keep in mind with Paul's epistles is we read Paul's epistles, and sometimes they seem very short. Uh, but for the ancient world, these were very long letters that Paul was writing. And letters like the uh, 1 Corinthians, um, Romans, one of the first things that would have stuck, uh, uh, struck the congregations or those who received them was their length, right? This, these were um, committed writing projects that Paul was doing by ancient standards, um, and so I would exclude Romans there somewhat because I think it's catechetical and just with its length and, and arrangement, you see that it's it's meant to teach. It's, but otherwise, this is largely occasional theology. He's doing issues that have come up with specific people in specific places about specific topics. That being said, um, what I love about Paul's epistles is the emphasis on um, what I consider to be key Lutheran teachings, and I consider them to be key Lutheran teachings because they're key biblical concepts, right? So I'm not, I'm not trying to read Paul through a confessional lens, but what I'm saying is when I do read Paul, you can see where our confession comes from very clearly. Um, one of the strengths of the epistles is uh, their nature, that they are written to expound upon things. These are not narrative texts. Um, and so you can unpack key concepts like justification by grace through faith in ways that maybe aren't done uh, elsewhere in Scripture. But I would say that's also what makes the epistles less conducive to preaching. Um, you can disagree with me if you if you want, Mike. Uh, 
but I always liked preaching on a good narrative text mm-hmm. if I could. Um, and so what Isaiah, the prophet, might do with imagery, think of in Lent all the texts about Christ that we read, and um, he was uh, stricken, smitten for us, right? Um, by his stripes we are healed. These texts are about justification by faith, but they're, they're being taught in um, powerful images. Um, what Jesus does in deed or in parable, right, Paul is now actually going to get to unpack. We have, for instance, with Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, but otherwise, um, and then you get, you know, later Matthew is a lot of teaching from Jesus to, you know, Matthew 24, 25, 26. But it's not in the same way of what the epistles are able to um, expound, unpack, and, and elaborate upon. And so that's why I I like Paul for teaching here at the college. I loved Paul for Bible studies in the parish. I like Paul for my own personal devotion. But I would say I haven't preached a lot on, on Paul's epistles. Uh, but I think their particular strength is that is that they're able to do. And, and even Peter says, right, Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. They're meaty, mm-hmm. right? Paul is getting into complex subjects. And it's particularly because he did that um, that the church throughout the ages has, has been able to have these renewals and reformations that fall back upon uh, these teachings that he, that he, he gave in a way um, that is both clear um, and uh, and substantive, right? So, so I think that's a very important that we have these epistles from Paul. Maybe Mike, before I, I get going too much on that, I was thinking it might be helpful to our listeners if we could explain it, and maybe you can explain it first, and I can jump in if we have something. But how we teach us at the college? So we're talking Pauline epistles now. And if if on the campus you say Pauline epistles, we're not actually talking about all of Paul's mm-hmm. epistles, the way the classes are broken down. All of Paul's epistles are taught on this campus, but not necessarily all in the same class. Would you like to explain a sure. little bit with that, Mike? <clears throat> so we have one class just on Romans, of course, um, because you're which right. Which I'll be teaching this yeah. spring. Yeah. Which which you're right. It's it's a, you know, I, I like that you talk about it as a catechism. I, I think it's at least at least the first um, eight chapters, even beyond that, it's an extended argument he's making, right? I mean, this is it's a theological you can't, argument. You can't pull any of those chapters out and have the next chapter make right. sense. And, and before this episode's over, I'd like to talk about especially the two kinds of righteousness, but there's other things too that you, you got to read, you got to understand Romans 1, 2, and 3 really to understand St. Paul. Like you should, you should have that. And so, so on our campus, we have Romans standalone course. And then, uh, we have the pastoral epistles go with kind of, we've put them together with the general epistles just for a, a pastoral course. and yeah. Catholic or generally. Yeah. And, and so uh, just, just because, you know, it, it, it works out that way, right. That we can, we can divide that up. And so people can engage a text, um, and, and so you can have the general epistles plus the pastoral epistles. And then what's left of the Pauline, uh, you know, first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, two letters to the Thessalonians, uh, and then Philemon are, are what's Pauline. But I, I cheat, um, because of what I said before, I make them go through Romans one through eight because I just don't, I, I just, yeah, we had last J term. So I teach the Romans class and I would say we're not parochial about our classes here on okay. campus. If there's crossover 
I think we actually like that, that it's reinforcing things. But I was teaching in the classroom next to Mike, and I think I was teaching history of Christianity in that J term. And the first two days, so like eight hours, I'm walking by, and he's got Romans, 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 Romans. And I'm like, bro, what's going on? You know, yeah, yeah. I do teach Romans. Right. And he's like, yeah, I, I meant to just do it as like a bit of an intro. And yeah. he's like, we've got sucked in. Right. And I'm sure part of that was students yeah. having good questions because Romans just does that, right? right? I just, I just I, I have a hard time starting either, you know, if you want to start with First Corinthians or if you want to start with First like Thessalonians going chronologically. I just... You know, I'm going to start out with, okay, here's some theological terms that you need to know. I do that with all of my uh, my intro courses and then Pauline, you know, okay, you need to know what justification means, sanctification, because I'm not going to sit there and try to explain it to you every single time. Right. I'm pedantic. It's one of the few classes where I have some Scantron tests that I actually do in there too, because I'm very pedantic about there's these, you have to know ransom, right. redeem, right. reconciliation, justification, sanctification. I didn't give them a cheat sheet, you know, I mean, the, the, and I said, put it into your Bible for the rest of your life. Um, but I, you can't really get there unless you really nail down Romans one through eight. And so I cheat and we go through Romans one through eight quicker than we do the other ones just because it's not supposed to be a part of the class. But, um, it's just, you just, I, I just don't think it's just bad if you, if you don't. So, and then, and then you tell them now you pretty much know Romans. So don't take Johnson's <laughs> class. Right? Well, and generally speaking, a lot of those kids are, um, Romans and Pauline epistles uh, fill the same requirement, you yeah. know. So they're n a lot of them are just not going to take another. Unless they're going to minor, yeah. Right, and if they're going to take more courses, they're you know theologically minded, or they're trying to get a minor and major, a minor or a major in theology, and so they're going to be more attuned to the differences of. They're going to be appreciative of going through Romans right. in a more in depth way, and so I, I'm I'm not apologizing to you. Is no, I'm saying. just joking anyways. I think it's great you do that. You know what, just um, to toss in, you know what book I spend time in that's not technically part of the class for the first class or two often when I teach Pauline Epistles? Hmm. Acts of the Apostles. Yeah, I do that too. Um, I, uh, and that's a book that I, we could just, it's such a unique book. It's the only book we have in the New Testament. We have lots of books like it in the Old Testament, First, Second mm -hmm. Kings, Chronicles, Judges. Um, it's this one that's like, what's going on in the early church mm -hmm. after Jesus ascends. And mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's really fun to be able to reference. Back. So we're in the epistle and I say, what from Acts, mm -hmm. right? Uh, can we draw this from? And I think it's also something that's really unique to the Christian script, scriptures from an apologetical viewpoint mm -hmm. um, is, look, here's the narrative account that provides the context for uh, what we have now in, in an epistle here. Um, and so we may reference Acts a little bit as we and maybe we talk today. Before we go a little bit further, uh, we kind of talked about um, you know the difference between the epistles in general, especially uh, Paul's and, and the rest of Scripture. Um, you know, one way to think about it, of course, is the Old Testament is pointing ahead to Christ, and the and the New Testament is pointing back to the Gospels. And sometimes we we I think some preachers get into this into this rut. And I think I probably fell into this rut as well, too, is we want to systematize everything and we want to we want to teach from the pulpit um, and you will learn from the pulpit. But it is it's not the main point. You right. know, it's a it, it, I kind of think like <clears throat> a sermon should inspire and teach and do all of those things, but not because it was trying to. Right. right. And so we get frustrated, I think, with 
preaching a story from the Gospels, or we get frustrated with the Gospel writers not being systematic about this. Like, can you just define faith, Jesus? Right? Right. I mean, that's what we want. He, he says, your faith saves you. And you're like, well, what the heck does that mean, right? And it's we, like a child. Right, okay, right. that helps. But and Or like, you know, I uh, answering John's uh, question about baptism, why should, you know, why, why are you having me baptize you in the Jordan River? Well, to fulfill all righteousness. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you very much, yeah. you know. And so St. Saint, Saint Paul is, he, he's not being a systematician like we think of, but he's closer to that. Right. And so I think you're, you're right for preaching much rather preach on a narrative. But if you just took the, the gospels and you didn't have Paul's epistles, you know, I think we'd get frustrated too. I mean, yeah. we like to have this, okay, make the argument here. And I think that's what St. Paul does very well, especially in Galatians and Romans and to a lesser degree, first Corinthians, although, you know, first and second Corinthians may be a, smash of, of yeah. different letters. Um, first part of first Corinthians, Romans and Galatians to me anyway, is specifically making an argument. Yep. Oh, there's a clear a. thesis. In yeah. Egypt. Yep. And then, and then going all the way around and then three chapters later coming back to the, now I made that point. And, and you know, you, you start to look at Luther and Luther is Pauline, right? I mean, and, and he's scriptural but he, he definitely is in tune with St. Paul and he writes like St. Paul, like, here's my point. And then I'm going to go off on this other sub point and we'll get back to it 20 p- pages later. <laughs> yeah. I think something maybe that's helpful. Well, I'll just a tangent that I debated if I'd gone, I will say, I don't know your experience, Mike, but um, when I was in seminary, I would say systematics was my biggest draw. It was my favorite class types of classes. Um, it was something I really enjoyed. And I will say, as I've gotten older and I've uh, um, engaged with people pastorally more, and just as I've studied more, um, I think it's uh, sorry, it's like he was just asking if his girlfriend could come over to the house, and I'm trying to text. Tell um, him no. I said, I said, fine by me, but ask mom, because if if I say yes and he didn't ask his mother, then yeah, she's a nice kid. I'm not too worried. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm less and less attracted to, like, straight systematics than I was in the past. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's theologians who I still like. and I used to love Ger- Johann Gerhardt. If you just gave me Gerhardt's systematics, you know, now I'd much rather read his devotional works and then maybe go to his systematics when I have a, a question. You know, and Sam, I was for fun translating Quenstadt and, and Kalov and others. And... uh. I think there's something instructive in how Jesus and then even Paul and then Luther approach things in that they do things, Paul and Luther do things that we might consider um, falling under systematics. I mean, if you're going to talk about baptism, you're going to go to Romans 6, mm-hmm. right? And Luther does that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's never outside of the context of dealing with specific people mm-hmm. um, and without the experience of the, the sinner or the sinner saint. Mm-hmm primary in one's mind and I just I get less and less time for abstraction as I get older I don't know if I'm just getting tired um, and I love that that Paul avoids abstraction he loves to just throw out well this is a mystery of God mm-hmm. and then he'll say basically like but here's what you need to know about it and uh, and I think uh, that that's extremely helpful maybe Mike uh, and Paul's urgent 
Right. I mean, you know, there's some urgency there that... Because um, he's dealing with center saints. Yeah, and it wouldn't be... It would be too far to say that he doesn't... He doesn't suffer fools, but... Uh, but he doesn't. He didn't have time for it. You right. Know? And he, not because of his personality necessarily, just because of... He's busy getting persecuted and shipwrecked and... You know, and, and remember that everybody besides a few besides us besides a few kooks in our in our time they really believe that the end of the world was coming in there right in their time we don't we don't think that way like they do so there's definitely some urgency there um where he's not going to he's not going to go down a lot of the rabbit holes that we might yeah and maybe um mike and i can do it if you don't want to but i'll, I'll throw it to you first something that as we're talking about paul and epistles so paul um you know, is uh, of Jewish uh, background, ethnicity, and religiously grew up at, uh, as Saul of Tarsus in Cilicia. Um, he's a Roman citizen because his father was a, uh, a freedman um, in Roman society. Uh, he grew up then in Tarsus as part of the, the diaspora, as we call it, meaning uh, you have Jewish communities outside of Israel all through the, the known world uh, for our interest, the Roman world at this time. He is uh, the equivalent of university trained for his day, um, very well university trained. I, I, I tell my kids that uh, he went to the Harvard of Judaism yep. and postgrad with Jesus. Yeah, and so he studies under uh, Gamaliel, who's the grandson of uh, Rabbi Hillel, who's a famous um, rabbi. Uh, he's persecuting the church, not only in Israel, but he's going to go to Damascus to persecute the church when he has his uh, conversion experience. So this is a person who's very learned, uh, by the standards of his time, and also very sophisticated, right? He's going to travel very well. Um, he's going to be all over the place during his life. But then he's going to write these epistles. And you could answer this with one, a one-word definition if you want, Mike. But for our listeners and just in general, how would you what, what, when we say epistle, what do we mean? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's a letter, of course. And, uh, but um, these are pastoral letters. All of them are pastoral letters, right, of one way, shape, or form, whether it be more of a... Let's make a general argument for Christianity, starting with two kinds of righteousness. Uh, and and letters to whom? Like even Timothy, it has one person's yeah. name, but, so, but who does he expect to read these? Yeah, so they're going to be to congregations with the uh, expectation, though, that they're going to be read publicly. Mm-hmm. And uh, and read publicly beyond those congregations Not just at well. those churches, yeah. And then you have uh, ones that are written to individual people, of course, as well, but those are going to be... Uh, circulated as well so and they're all pastoral either to a person to a congregation and like you said largely to an occasion in the situation of each parish where there's going to be one two or three problems that are going to be addressed so um in that way that's why i think they're all pastoral right when we mean pastoral epistles we meant they were written to pastors but they're all pastoral in the sense that they're going to deal with an issue so uh you know uh in in first second uh, Thessalonians, the, some of the issues are going to be about eschatology. Um, Galatians, it's going to be yeah, work righteousness and justification. Um, Ephesians, Jew and Gentile. Yeah. And and uh, there's going to be some themes, however, that are going to go across all of them. One's going to be Jew and Gentile, right? You're going to see yeah. that popping up in uh, uh, not just Jew and Gentile, but specifically uh, pagan religion versus Jewish 
Christian, whatever you want to call it. That's going to be the two ditches or extrema. A Judaizing tendency, which wants to um, keep some of the Mosaic law for New Testament Christianity, Mm -hmm. and a paganizing tendency, whether that be Gnosticism um, or the immorality that was associated Mm -hmm. with pagan worship. And I I think if you get some themes that go across there are going to be, and and I'm trying not to be bring my own interest into this, but the more and more I read it, I think, okay, the Jewish... Jewish Gentile stuff. So I constantly telling my students, it seems like almost every other letter, letter, if not every letter, just remember the difference between the Mosaic law and the moral law. Yep. Um, there's going to be theology of cross stuff going on subtly, I think, everywhere. There is going to be, and I think, two kinds of righteousness subtly going on there. And that's why I say if you don't get Romans 1 through, especially th- Romans 1 through 3, if not Romans 1 through 8. Well, I think Romans 1 through gonna, 3 for... Um, the basis of Christian teaching, and I think Romans 6 through 8, it's very hard to understand the Christian life apart from yeah, that. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. I'm constantly going back. The way I teach two kinds of righteousness is to say, think of two systems. System number one is where you're right, just, so righteousness or justification, by law. You do something, and then you get rewarded, and then all, how, how this is such a bad situation for us. And then a righteousness by faith, which is, it is a gift, um, through faith on account of Christ. And then throughout every letter, I, you know, we're, he's making some argument, whether it be in Ephesians or Galatians or whatever. And I'll stop and say, this is the wrong system. You see, they're in the wrong system and, um, they're putting themselves in a system of righteousness by law. And so I think theology of the cross, two kinds of righteousness, Jewish Gentile, we could probably think of a couple other ones. Those are themes that are throughout all of the epistles, and that informs us, I think, as theologians and and pastors and specifically preachers, that that should inform our preaching and teaching. I think just a a little bit that um, to cover background, too, and we can always come up with another episode out of this, too, but um, something that comes up, especially... um, I would say with the 19th and 20th century and Protestantism is going to be discussion of the authenticity of these letters um, and debates about the dating of them. And you will have people who date the letters very early and you will have people who will push these letters way back and say they couldn't have possibly been written by Paul. Um, one of the Bibles I like using, um, because it shows uh, in the study notes some of the kind of um, historical critical viewpoints that people might have. And, and to be fair, there can be helpful insights that can come out of what, what the question. What do you question. mean by, for our listeners, historical questions? Uh, well, you're going to stand over the text and, and try to decide, um, does the rhetoric of the text match the rhetoric of other texts? Um, are the words that are being used words that would have been used at that time? Um, does it seem uh, likely that this author really wrote this? Are they addressing issues that we think were issues in this day? Um, stuff like that. And it can be helpful for wrestling with some of that. Um, but where I like is sometimes it leads me to question of, well, why would the rhetoric in this letter be different than that? And almost always the, the answer is audience. But there's one where it talks about, yeah, this probably isn't authentic because why would Paul have Timothy circumcised but not Titus? Mm-hmm. And it's just funny because if you read Paul's epistles, you understand completely mm-hmm. why he would do that. It gets right to the core of, of Paul's teachings, right? But there will be people who will raise issues like that, um, and that actually comes out of the Lutheran tradition. 
Um, there's what people will call Luther's antilegomena, which means there were um, books in the Bible um, that we speak of in Lutheranism as uh, um, homologomena and antilegomena, right? Homologomena, I'm getting that right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm getting Christological terms in my head from something else I'm working on. And uh, simply meaning um, that people had uh, spoken for these books or they had spoken against. And the antilegomena doesn't mean that these books are not inspired word of God, but it just means um, maybe not as many churches have them or maybe there's things in the content. So the, the what would be the, the biggest epistle in Lutheran circles that people would point to that Luther uh, questioned called the Epistle of Straw, Mike? That'd be James. Right. And we, we really need to do an episode on James. That doesn't mean J- Luther is saying James isn't inspired or isn't helpful, um, but it means Luther read James and says, man, this the emphasis in here is just not as as central to the Christian faith. Is that a fair way to say it, Mike? As, say, Romans or Galatians. It's not that it's wrong. Um, it was just tough for Luther to to put that put that theology together. Right. Yeah. Now, in the Wisconsin Synod and in Missouri Synod, where a lot of our listeners are from, uh, we tend to operate with a different framework than the historical critical method. We tend to operate with the historical grammatical record method, meaning we're looking um, at the grammar, the words, the historical backgrounds of these situations, but we're not going to stand over the text. Now, every reader comes with their own mm-hmm. um, epistemological and, and situational And we maybe get to the same, same point as a historical person and say, okay, this is the culture of the time. This is why St. Paul may be saying this or whatever. I think the difference is, you know, and to be critical of both sides, <laughs> uh, to be fair, I should say, not necessarily critical, is we tend to assume... And I, we would assume this is God's word, and so there's no errors, and so we're just not get, we're going to eliminate that possibility. Um, where I think criticizing those who are in the historical critical m- method, as much as they say that they're open-minded, they are like, yeah, this is this is just human writings, and it's not. This is going too far, but there. You, you're going to have to prove to me that these were all written by St. Paul. You're going to have to prove to me that right. this is It comes inspired. in with skepticism. Right. right. And, and we can see where, it's li- uh, where it has led in some modern theology, especially if you look in German Protestantism, um, to where there's all these attempts to rescue religion. Um, rather than um, standing under the text and, and, and believing with um, the best of Lutheran theologians, that the text really is done to you. It's not, you, you're not coming to the text to find meaning. Um, faith comes through hearing, right? The text is done to you. And this is what Tertullian meant when he said that for the unbeliever or the skeptic, the scriptures remain a closed book. Um, this is good, Tertullian, before he became a, uh, um, fell into Montanism. And, uh, but I only bring that up because how we're going to approach Paul's epistles at the college, Mike, um, and I would say in um, confessional Lutheran circles, is uh, we're going to operate um, with the assumption that these epistles are authentic. Um, and we tend to have very early dating for these epistles. We're going to read these epistles and date them usually in accord with the Acts of the Apostles. So, for instance, um, when it comes to Galatians, you can have the Southern Galatia theory and the Northern Galatia theory. Southern Galatia theory is he's writing to this area that would have been colloquial called Galatia, colloquially called Galatia. Like if you're from it, people called it Galatia. 
um, but n- maybe wasn't officially called Galatia on the map. Um, and Galatia, I think Gaul, Celts, this type of background. Northern Galatia, um, well, it must be later. We don't really know when Paul got up there. This would have been formally called, formally, not formally called Galatia. Well, I look at that and I go, it sure seems like Paul is referencing things that happened in Lystra and Derby and Iconium. Um, this is who he's writing to. And so I'm going to have a very early date for Galatia, uh, for Galatians. Um, similarly with the prison epistles and stuff like that. Um, Ephesians, some people will question, did he write Ephesians in principle? The early church's testimony sure seems to indicate that. Um, and so for the most part, we're going to be dating uh, Pauline epistles in in, in the 50s and 60s A.D., which is important too. I think this is especially important with Galatians because it shows how these controversies and what the main issues were, you know, not long after Christ's ascension. Um, when people who witnessed Christ's resurrection or the resurrected Christ or knew him during his ministry were still alive, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not um, a much later reflection. People will sometimes try to push back the date of the pastoral epistles and say, well, people couldn't really have been de- debating ecclesiology that early, so they wouldn't have been talking about overseers or presbyters that early. Um, I would guess both of us would read that and go, well, actually, it, it really makes sense that they would be mm-hmm. trying to figure out how are we going to gather, who's going to do what. You see that in Acts already. Yeah, right? and you see in the epistles, Paul referencing sending Titus and Timothy to churches, and, and he, supp- he says... Um, Support your teachers, right? Well, that means there's people in place there. Yeah, and so, we, we, we human beings don't go very far without debating, trying to form a committee and making stuff up. Right. And so if if we were going to, I don't know how you, if you arrange yours thematically, but I tend to go largely with a, a chronological structure when I teach Pauline epistles. And so when I go through, we do First and Second Thessalonians, then Galatians, then First Corinthians, then Second Corinthians. Um, and then the prison epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. I do it in the order that you're, you're found in, in the Bible because I think there is some, some wisdom to that, to the bigger ones. And then, although if I, 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 if I rethought it, I'd probably do Galatians first. I do Romans and then Galatians just because I'm thinking, I'm thinking more, you got to understand this before we go to the next thing. Yep. Um, and I'm okay. I, first and second Thessalonians. Are my least favorite, so that's I put those at the end of the semester. <laughs> uh, so maybe uh, if we can take first, uh, just briefly, Paul's style. If mm-hmm. we're going to compare Paul's epistles to John's epistles or Peter's epistles, um, what would be some things that stand out to you about Paul's style, Mike? I think uh, you know John's like much like his gospel. It's you know uh, he's in the clouds somewhat in a good way. Extremely simple Greek, but simple Greek, but very, very deep profound. concepts. Yep. So the the fourth grader and the philosopher both can understand and be wowed by by John. Um, yeah, Peter. Uh, I Peter's epistles are hard for me in the sense because I always have this picture of I have three P, th- I have three pictures of Peter in my mind. I have the the pre uh, Pentecost Peter. I have the one that we find in the book of the acts and then his and then the epistle writer and they seem like three different guys to me you know and you can see the maturity and a historical critical person is going to say see right but i i don't mean it that way i mean that if i read mike berg at 60 and at 40 and at 20 there's a change i think the first big change is that he literally gets the holy spirit right and he is a little bit 
timid. Uh, you know, he learns his lessons perhaps too. Um, and, and I think Peter, Peter's epistles, um, you know, we just don't have a whole lot of, you know, there's not as much information, obviously, as with, with Paul. We just have more writings of, of Paul. Uh, so it's kind of hard to judge. But I think St. Paul's a little bit more, let me make an argument here, right? Um, here's my thesis, and then I'm going to go point A, point B, point C, um, even though it doesn't look that way when you first read it. Uh, you know, P Peter is, Peter's writing for a general audience, too. Right. You know, I mean, it's not necessarily to as much as it is to a specific situation. It doesn't have the same purpose, I would say. Yeah, and I would say, to me, when I'm doing the Greek, um, John reminds me of reading Ernest Hemingway. Um, Paul would definitely remind me more of reading an, uh, a Faulkner. Um, Paul's sentences, early Ephesians, like these sentences, often the English will break them down more. Mm -hmm. But they are long. Mm -hmm. Um, lots of participles, one thought hinging on the next. It's it's very um, detailed, and I think that that's uh, something that would stand out about his style. Um, and there's words and concepts that that become very repetitive that we that you you see again and again. And so maybe um, briefly, Mike, you mentioned kind of giving your students a list, and I talked about having you know testing <coughs> um, testing that. What are some words you think you just can't understand, Paul, without having a concept for? Well, putting justification and righteousness together. What are those two things? Um, and then the, the answer, of course, is two kinds of righteousness. What is the gospel, right? The dynamis, the, the power of the gospel right away. I think that's a, one that you, you hit on, we're going to hit on quite a bit. Um, suffering's a big one. What does he mean by suffering? There's a Paul With probably... Yeah, Paul has the most developed theology of suffering, perhaps. Um, and, uh, you know, get that in Romans 5, and then you can kind of understand the rest of his epistles, I think. Um, uh, you know, we get you got to talk about the bound will, of course, and stuff like that. I, I think that that's a little bit more abstract. Um, but But you have to have those down before you can get, anywhere else I think I think law gospel spirit right yep. what does he flesh. mean by yep what does he mean by flesh um, those, those are sacrifice I think especially in, in Romans chapter 12 redeem yeah. ransom yeah. reconcile yeah I mean I, I should have put my, my list I, I probably have two and a half pages just of of words like you just you just got to know I'm sorry you just have to know these in order to, to get what's going on um a lot of the law, and I don't mean just law and gospel, I mean ceremonial, moral. I spend a lot of time saying, I spend a lot of time describing what the law would be for an Old Testament Jew. What was the purpose of this? What is the purpose of a ceremonial washing? What is the purpose of a sacrifice? Um, and, and, and break that down. Some of it is to hedge Israel. Some of it is to uh, or put a hedge around Israel. Some of it is a teaching tool. Some of it is to say, prefigure uh, Christ. Yeah, some of it's all that, and 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 like for instance, you're not gonna, you're not gonna really understand that. You're not gonna understand the Hagar Sarah analogy of Galatians without getting that down. I mean, yep. that's a lot. That is a lost metaphor for you if you don't really understand that. Yeah, yeah and I would say uh, 
grace, mercy, peace are big ones. He loves to begin and end with these. Um, if you don't understand grace as undeserved gift, you're going to read his epistles very differently yeah. if you have a different definition. Um, grace and mercy and Paul really are flip sides of the same thing. Um, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Um, peace, if you read Paul and you think peace is the absence of conflict, you're going to miss out on a lot. Um, peace building off of his own Jewish heritage, ideas of shalom or wholeness. Um, Luther says for Paul, peace is the forgiveness of sins, and I think that's a very insightful comment. Um, yeah, so Luther. like, yeah, just down that road, shalom does not, the Hebrew word shalom is not going to be an inner peace, but the Greek word for peace that we normally associate with peace can have that. The connection is the forgiveness of sins. Right. And that's where you get freedom, which is another one where you, you don't really, we should add that to the list. You, what does he mean by freedom? Yeah. It is not to do whatever you want. Yeah. So that, that's probably another one. And of course the other one, sanctification, vocation means a grace and stuff like that. But, but the, those aren't necessarily foundational, big concepts in Pauline epistles like the others. And I would think something that I, I try to draw out for my students too in connection with that of when he says grace, mercy, peace, and, and usually hope too. Um, and there we have to understand this is not uh, hope like we say hope in English. I hope I win the lottery. <laughs> um, but it's a hope that has been actualized already, right? This is, it's ours. Heaven is ours. Um, but it hasn't been fully attained yet. But uh, he loves to say grace, mercy, peace, hope in God our Father and our Lord Savior Jesus Christ. So this is first and second article, grace, mercy, peace, hope. Um, maybe a last thing to unpack for now and then we can come back and do more in another time, Mike, uh, would be uh, the context in which Paul is, is writing. Um, there is this Jew-Gentile thing going on that can be difficult to understand in our own day. We're very aware of ethnic differences and cultural differences, right? 2020 is not immune to that. Um, we see all sorts of conflicts throughout the world and even um, rhetorical tensions, you know, um, that, that arise. Why is the Jew-Gentile distinction so central to Paul's epistles? Um, and then I, I guess I do have one more thing I went on after this, and this is the normal arrangement of his epistles. Um, but why is he talking Jew-Gentile so much? Why was that such a big deal? And how does it relate to Christian freedom, which you mentioned? Sure. I mean, just first of all, just an obvious one. He's setting up these congregations by going to a synagogue, largely largely going to a synagogue first. Pretty much and, all of them, with the yeah. exception of the Philippians, because there didn't appear to be a big Jewish yeah. population there. And and so I do spend a lot of time trying to explain this to, to, the, to the group, because first of all, we tend to... Our differences tend to be more heightened by race, right? Which is not necessarily... And race is an enlightenment concept. Yeah. The ancients wouldn't have thought... They would have been aware of differences, but they wouldn't have thought in racial terms. No, they would have more... I, I'm not... Worldview is not the right word, but a whole cultural, whole different kind of kind of thing. And and to, to see, you know, the differences between me and... Now, I'm not even talking about someone of another ethnicity or uh, a class in America, but even me and the difference between somebody living in the bush in Africa um, may even be 
smaller than the difference between a Jewish person in Corinth and a Gentile really engaged in the, in the culture of that day. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's a, it's a whole life change for people. Right. And so that's one explanation. But the other explanation too is, um, I, this is how I explain it to him. I say, okay, listen, you, you, you are here on campus at WLC. You have a certain kind of way of thinking and eating and stuff like that. What if I said tomorrow in the cafeteria, um, we are now going to be serving horse or dog or something like that. Something that would have been heinous to you. And I'm going to come in here and I say, you better not smirk. You better not criticize. You better not turn your nose up at the people sitting next to you who are eating dog for, 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 uh, for supper. And to imagine yourself at, at that little old Jewish lady in this congregation in, in Rome or Corinth or, or in the backwater Galatia, whatever, someone coming in and telling you, okay, here's the new rules. Yep. That is, that is, we have to be sensitive to this change. And these things that you were doing before weren't bad. Yep. They were good. They were in keeping with the Mosaic law that you had been given. Mm-hmm. Um, but to now have someone come and say, this thing that defined your people yep. for centuries, mm-hmm. Christ has come. Yeah. It's not necessary anymore. And and to lose your and the the, the other example I use is is losing your your heritage too. So you know, and and we can all relate to this even if we're like fourth gen fourth or fifth generation uh, Americans to say the first generation comes over grandma and grandpa come over for a better life to America from whatever country. The second generation they speak the language and their their parents are happy that they're you know, in America with all the advantages that, that come with that. They're happy that they have the language and the food that keeps their culture. Yep. The grandchildren who are going to be English speakers first, perhaps, and whatever language second. They maybe know dress, a couple cuss words in the old language, but not you much know, more. You can imagine that that first generation who suffered, whatever, they feel like they're losing their identity. Yep. And to be sensitive to that and then... But how easy it is then for that first generation in this situation or uh, back in Galatia with the, the, the different eating, whatever, to you're better, you're holier, you're sanctified, you're justified if you do it this way rather than this contemporary w- way, which seems so loose morally, which seems so backwards. And how easy it is that you can start saying us versus them righteous versus unrighteous. And and I think uh think even in our own day with the culture wars and I'm not speaking to things in the culture wars that where there's clear biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. But we people can have a sense of of panic and anxiety um about a world that seems very different than the world that they grew up in. Um all of this would have been in play for the Jews who converted to Christianity. And and now they're engaging with the Gentiles in meaningful ways, and their relationship to the Gentiles is integral to them being Christians. Paul says, "You're one body; you're gathering together in in worship." Um, and so this, and on the flip side, for the Gentiles, they're being called out of a culture, um, something that touched every aspect of their life before. And this is what I think is interesting too: is sometimes in 2020. People will act as if, well, Paul couldn't imagine our own day or the Bible doesn't address this or that. He's calling people out of things that in many ways are more extreme oh, than yeah. what we deal oh, with yeah. today. 
I mean, when was the last time you were in church and the pastor had to preach about not going to orgies? Right. <laughs> and, you know, this is something Paul puts in his list right. of things of the flesh. And you read that and you go, yeah, I think that 2020 isn't so much more right. advanced in morality. And I, than I just always imagine this poor little Jewish widow who is... Who is who is more? Con- Why does is- he have to tell them? That? <laughs> like, I can't even can't even fathom this, right? I can't even fathom that we have to deal with this, such a culture thing. And then and then back to the cultural things. It's an attack on me and my culture and my world, and I can very easily um, slip into um, <clears throat> the wrong system, the righteousness by by yeah. law, right? And we can all do that with things like food, our calendars, yep. and our family yep. traditions. Or it's easy. Yep. It's easy to do it that way. And and one thing, a theme that I, I think I'm going to bring out more and more, and I, I didn't do a very good job this last semester, is you live by the law, you die by the law. And so, you know, to put it in our own context, rightfully so, for a long time, you know, for lack of a better word, the bedroom sins, right, um, that we were... Christians were right to say this is wrong and here are the ramifications for being wrong, right? This is not going to be good for our society, for our family, for us. But if that became the main message, um, maybe it wasn't deliberate that way that the gospel is obscured, but that's how people saw it when they saw the church, that it was, this is just about you making sure that you, people lived up to a certain morality. Um, well, then someone's going to come by and going to say, okay, you got those right, but what about all of these other sins? Think about social injustice and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you live by the law, you die by the law, then you're, you're going to have to be accused and rightfully you're going to have to say mea culpa or you're going to double down on your own morality. Um, either way, you're in the wrong system. You're in a system of righteousness by law rather than a system of righteousness by faith. And that can go on the flip side too with immorality. When someone abuses Christian freedom, they can almost identify um, with the abuse of their Christian freedom. So it becomes a work righteousness. It's just mm-hmm. now based on lawless works of, um, I think this is in confessional Lutheranism, especially in the seminaries you would sometimes um, hear, and I was guilty of this. I'm sure you were never guilty of it. Well, I'm not a pietist, so I'm going to have a cigar. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing wrong with having a cigar. But the moment you're having that cigar mm-hmm. to prove you're not something mm-hmm. status-wise, Still well, in the wrong system. Yeah, it's still you're still thinking backwards. And that's why we, it's so important that we understand freedom. And I don't think, I think it took me well into my pastoral ministry to really grasp freedom. Because you see freedom, you go, yeah, not understand that, especially as an American, get that, understand that. I don't think I really understood what that meant until much later. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I still think I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Yeah. Last thing, Mike, uh, would be, if we're thinking of the arrangement of Paul's epistles, I just want to hit on a little bit how he tends to handle things. One of the things that strikes me about his epistles and that I find extremely helpful is he usually moves from doctrine to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is a good reminder for us as Christians. Most of his epistles, I'm thinking of Romans 1 through 11, Galatians 1 through 4, um, Ephesians 1 through 4. Uh, I mean, you could do it with almost all of the epistles. I, I won't bore us with that. But he tends to... Um, hammer home Christian teaching, and then he moves to practice, and he does it in a very careful way. Think of Galatians where he says, okay, now this freedom you have, it's not freedom to sin, it's freedom from sin, so don't use your freedom as an excuse for sin. But even as he does it, he keeps coming back to, but yet no one put you again, let no one again put you under mm-hmm. the yoke of slavery. 
or Romans 12, um, where he will begin of, now in view of God's mercy, mm-hmm. right? Don't forget everything I just talked about. And you don't understand that without, we should have mentioned this before, without the simile. Right. And I mean, you think of Corinthians and you're going you're gonna to get to spiritual gifts in chapter 12 and love in chapter 13 and what we should do with food sacrifice to idols and stuff like that. Um, but I think with Paul, we have a good reminder too of having the right practice means nothing if you don't have the right doctrine. But at the same time, doctrine isn't doctrine if it isn't practical, right? Um, now, what I, what I don't mean by that is that someone would say, well, the Trinity doesn't seem practical. I don't mean that. Um, I would say the Trinity is an extremely practical yeah. teaching. When we say theology is a practical habit, what we mean is um, these things have implications for the Christian life. In our very Christian life, springs out of these things. So if you're reading Paul's epistles, I would encourage you when you read them to say, where is the transition point and how does he do it and how does he strike the balance? Because I'm always struck by how well um, Paul is able to do that. And I think he sets a very helpful model for us, um, whether that be as uh, as parents, as pastors, um, as teachers, uh, as friends, just vocationally and how we deal with people. Um, I think there's a, a good... His first, the beginning is always, here's how people get into heaven. This is the big goal. Okay, now we're going to talk about practice and behavior. But it'll have reminders in there. But keep in mind, to behave and end up in hell doesn't do much good. (laughs) So um, I find that to be extremely helpful with his arrangement. I'll let you close and anything you might have on that, Mike, or you can correct me if I'm wrong in it. No, absolutely. I think if I would go back to, you know, Mike Berg, in college or high school or whatever and and could tell him some things about Paul Paul and his epistles I would say uh, really stop and, and read them slowly especially Romans and Galatians uh, first and second Corinthians are difficult because you have quite quite a different things going on there it's probably a mashup of multiple letters um, but but Romans and Galatians are really tightly woven arguments and to stop and say, okay, I'm going to write four or five things down and this can be dangerous, but four or five things down where I see some basic themes that are going to be played out again and again. And if this is true that St. Paul is building his argument over on these things, then I should be aware of them when I read a passage later on in the book. And I would say again, uh, I should have put this in the first one, simultaneously sinner and saint, so there you got the bound will, uh, slave to righteousness, or slave to sin. Two kinds of righteousness. Um, a theology of cross that is counter to um, a, th- a theology of glory, which would be the default philosophy of, the, of humanity, especially of that, that age, any age. Um, uh, the power of the gospel, um, law and gospel, specifically the law, um, and as it relates to being either Mosaic law or moral law, ceremonial law and stuff like that. And, and probably you can think of a couple others, but just to keep those themes in mind because he's making that argument. And because we tend to read the Bible where we go, oh, I'm going to read Romans 1 today and then tomorrow Romans 2. Or I'm going to pull this passage uh, out of context and this will, I'm going to you know crochet it on a whatever, put it on a pillow. Um you got to keep those things in mind because he's he's building an argument, right? So I, I think that would be the advice I would give to our readers is to and it, say... Just with yeah. that too, it's 
It's interesting that the first real Lutheran beginning of a systematic text, and I, I think one of the best ones out there that we still should be reading, um, Melanchthon's 1521 Lodzi Communes, um, very good edition of it. It's very short, um, put out by Concordia Publishing House, very good translation by Christian Price, um, is basically does just that. It's structured off Romans, mm-hmm. um, and it's basically an exposition of Romans. But sorry, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, and I mean, just like Romans chapter 1, like this... You know, the Gentiles are without excuse, right? They don't have a case. Um, uh, so he's talking natural law. He's talking all of those kinds of things. But to really, we tend to take the, you know, Romans 8 in this passage, and this is so glorious. This is like my theme and that, you know, uh, whatever it is, all things are possible with God from Philippians or whatever. Um, you don't really understand that if you don't understand the symbol, two kinds of righteousness, those kinds of things. And so I think that would be my advice is to to really write down some things from Romans 1 to 3, Galatians 1 through 4, and and then reread the epistles, right? And start to see those things pop in. This is dangerous because you can, you can start to f- look for stuff that's not there in those passages. But I've also found that helpful when like, for instance, you know, you, you finally discover the theology of the cross or you finally discover vocation or you finally discover the 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 means of grace kind of emphasis um of 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 christian theology and then you see it everywhere right you see it everywhere and so it can be helpful that way so anyway i think we're way out of time so i want to close it out uh this is about freedom this is about freedom found in christ not and not a uh so-called freedom where we just do whatever we want that's a slavery to sin uh, and it's the wrong system. It's a system of righteousness by law. And we can try to get out of that by making excuses, by comparing ourselves to other people. Um, but finally, when you're finally hammered by the law and realize that you have nowhere else to go but Christ, that's where he comes. The spirit comes with the gospel. And uh, he takes hold of you and the scriptures take hold of you. And you're given a true freedom, a freedom that lasts forever. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Every evening when the sun goes down Get with my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink I set them up, another round I set them up, another round I set them up, another round One more round won't get me down